Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Happy Monday. Glad you're with us. Your stool is prepared. Jim, I don't know if we've ever had this many good martinis on a Monday, and they are genuinely good martinis, although the last one certainly has a strong dash of crazy to it. But the first two are certainly good without equivocation. Let's start yesterday on CBS's Face the Nation, where former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan uh, apparently listens to the Three Martini Lunch podcast, or we're going to like to think so, because he announced that he will not be seeking the 2024 a Republican presidential nomination. I did give it serious consideration. I talked to people everywhere and I talked to my family and it was a tough decision, but I've decided that I will not be a candidate for the Republican nomination for president. So whatever his rationale, he didn't really have a path. There was no point to this campaign and good for him for realizing it. Yes. And I, I right before, the day before in the corner, I had written a post pointing out that candidates that have no chance very rarely recognize that they have no chance. And they usually insist that, well, until I try, I won't know if I have no chance. Well, okay, sorry. There's a certain credibility threshold that you have to surpass if you're going to really be a presidential candidate. If you really are, if you're running for a book deal, if you're running for a Fox News gig or an MSNBC News gig on the Democratic side, if you're running to be a bigger celebrity, if you're running because you want to be the running mate and vice president, you know, there's no law that bars you from running, but you're starting to clog the stage and you're starting to become a really frustrating factor impeding this, you know, the people who are really are serious candidates. And we've seen this, this ever growing field cycle by cycle, yet a little bit more going back to 2012, 2016, 2020, you know, the crowd keeps getting bigger and I'm sorry. And I, this applies every bit to the Democrats like Jay Inslee, who'd never had a serious chance of being the democratic nominee as it does to Larry Hogan. Uh, I still I like Larry Hogan. I think there's a lot in his record to put. You know, if nothing else, he stopped Maryland Democrats from enacting a whole bunch of bad ideas. And I also kind of don't like this philosophy at work in our politics that if you are a good governor, if you are a good senator, you know, whatever you are, that's not enough. You are only complete when you run for president. Look, we only elect a president once every four years. There's only one winner, which means most people who try are going to fail. If you really believe in what you're doing, if you really believe you know, you are the best choice, then okay, fine, jump in there. But it's almost impossible for these guys to separate out their ego. I must be the best. They must love me from a realistic looking at the fact. Look, if you're starting in low single digits, it's very, very hard. Donald Trump began the 2016 presidential primary with near 100% uh, name ID. Same thing for Hillary Clinton that year. Same thing for Joe Biden, who'd been vice president. I know it's tough, but you know what? You really got to be, you know, presidential campaigns are not where you build your name ID. You're really supposed to have that name ID before you jump in there. Uh, does Hogan have it? Eh, maybe, so, you know, he's, he's not an obscure two-term governor. But he also, like, is largely known for his, you know, opposition role to Donald Trump. And I don't think, look, the Republican Party is not going to become an anti-Trump party. It may be a post-Trump party. It may be willing to move on, but it's not interested in having a, you know, dealing with a presidential campaign whose primary purpose is to argue you voted the wrong way in 2016 and 2020. It's just never going to get anywhere. Larry Hogan, thank you for your service to the state of Maryland. I hope you find some way to be active and to continue to help the country. I think you're a good guy. And I think you are, you know, you're not operating in a state of denial that many other candidates are. So thank you, Larry Hogan. One less guy we got to worry about in uh, in the 2024 cycle. Yeah, even outside of the crowded field situation, while Larry Hogan is 
I think, the best Maryland governor in our lifetimes. It's a fairly low bar given all the others that we've seen in our time, especially since you and I have lived in this area. Uh, there are certain issues that he would have struggled with anyway, even without uh, his uh, constant opposition to Donald Trump, uh, his handling of COVID. You know, we just had some Baltimore school numbers that were atrocious. And so how much of that is his fault? I don't know. But I think it would have it would have caused him problems uh, during even a normal primary cycle. Uh, your colleague yesterday wrote a column that's, that said Hogan hero for for recognizing this and and stepping out and, you know, playing on the old sitcom theme there. And so it got me thinking. I'm, I'm not sure he's necessarily a hero for this, but I give him credit for recognizing he didn't really have a path. Jim, if he didn't have some sort of thing during his governorship about, you know, recognizing people who did nice things in, in communities across the state and calling it Hogan's Heroes, that's a gigantic missed opportunity for, uh, for publicity for himself and just, uh, you know, using that theme all the way through. Greg, the only way that could be any better is if he was running for re-election against a Democrat named Schultz, who was known for not knowing anything. All right, Jim, on to our second good martini now. And one of the things you want, if you're the Republican Party heading into 2024, is a good strategy heading into this critical, not only presidential election, but House, Senate, uh, uh, other uh, races down ballot. That means you need to learn the lessons from 2022. The whole stage was set for a big Republican year. Didn't happen. Some of it was candidate quality. And I think another big part of it was just assuming, because things were stacked against the Democrats, that voters would just naturally gravitate to the Republicans. Didn't happen that way. And one of the people who understood that in 2022 was Lee Zeldin, the Republican nominee for governor of New York. He didn't win, but he came a heck of a lot closer than anyone uh, predicted that he would. And that's because he had a compelling message, particularly on crime in New York City, that resonated very, very well. And because he did well across the state, New York sent uh, uh, several more members to the House of Representatives than a lot of people expected. Well, Lee Zeldin was on the stage at CPAC uh, over the past few days, and he gave a rousing, rousing uh, explanation of what Republicans need to do everywhere in this country in order to win. Uh, Kind of a long excerpt. Here's what he said. Well, we need to be competing everywhere in all 50 states. I don't care what state you come from. There are important races, especially down ballot. And we saw instead of New York sending six Republicans as part of our delegation to D.C., we ended up sending 11. We end up flipping control of the House of Representatives. Nancy Pelosi is no longer speaker. We need to go into Democratic areas, and the best way to get Democrat votes is not to act like Democrats, but to explain why we are proud, principled conservatives. And don't pander. If you go speak to a black group or a Hispanic group or an Asian or Jewish group, don't say, I love black people vote for me, I love Asian people vote for me, I love Hispanic people vote for me. Say, we need to improve safety on these streets, here is how. These are our proposals. We need to improve the quality of education inside of your kids' schools. Here's how. These Democrats are unhappy with the Democratic policies and the Democratic Party as a whole. But they aren't going to just swing to the Republicans on their own. It's a bad assumption that we are making. Instead, what we need to do is to show up over and over and over again. When your high-paid political consultant tells you not to go to a heavily Democratic area, that's exactly where we need to show up and earn the support of these Democrats. We cannot relinquish the cities. We cannot relinquish the suburbs. We need to drive the message in these campaigns as we talk about what needs to get done to make our streets safer, to make life in these states more affordable, to protect freedom 
safety, prosperity, our kids' education, and more. We cannot relinquish anything to the Democrats, and if we're on offense confidently, that will be the path for us to earn a red wave, because in 2022, we did not earn a red wave nationally. In 24, we must to save America. Jim, if that speech had come from a football coach or a basketball coach, yeah, every player would have been flying out of that locker room ready to play. In this case, the game is winning elections. This ought to get you pretty fired up. Yeah, and look, you know, boy, it was like six, six and a half percent would have gotten Lee Zeldin. New York, New York would have a different Republican governor, would have just a completely different outlook, primarily on crime, but on all kinds of issues, including how to deal with the homeless, uh, building the economy, the regulatory state, health care, uh, when you should lock elderly people into nursing homes during a terrible pandemic, all kinds of issues like that. And, you know, it, this ties in well with the discussion of Larry Hogan, and you could throw in uh, Charlie Baker up in Massachusetts. Look, you know, there are a lot of times where uh, Susan Collins as a senator is going to frustrate me and, you know, be wobbly or be willing to work with Democrats or something like that. But I understand the demographics of the state of Maine. And I understand that Susan Collins is about as, you know, conservative Republican as you're going to get. Uh, I think there's a similar dynamic at work with uh, uh, Baker in Massachusetts, with uh, Hogan in, in Maryland. Um, you can go back to Mike Castle against Christine O'Donnell in Delaware. Boy, it wouldn't have been nice if we could have nominated Mike. Mike Castle would have at least made a competitive race. And who knows if we'd had a Republican senator from Delaware for the last you know, starting in 2010. Boy, that would have been useful. Mm-hmm. So it's just infuriating that a lot of states and a lot of state parties, Maryland, where they wanted to nominate Cox, who was far too Republican. Like Maryland's a state where two, there's a two to one advantage of Democrats to Republicans. You you have to be able to win Democratic votes if you want to win statewide in there. You can't be a Trump acolyte who runs runs around talking about the stolen election. Sorry, I, I don't agree with that in the first place. But even if I you know even if I did agree with that, you have to recognize where the voters are, and there is no magic way to suddenly generate a lot more voters. Lee Zeldin competed in blue districts. Lee, you know, I want to see Republicans trying to earn the votes of as many people as possible in as many places as possible which means not writing anybody off. It's, it, it seems like common sense to me. I don't understand why. I'm glad this was a roaring applause line at CPAC, by the way, uh, because there were certain signs that CPAC last week was getting self-marginalized and embracing the fringe. I don't think it's good to have Carrie Lake giving the Ronald Reagan address at the night, at the you know Saturday night. But I don't think it's good to have, uh, well, certain other figures uh, from speaking. I'll let people you know infer who I'm talking about there. You know, like this, this is how you win is by building a majority. There are certain people in the party who just don't want to get, you don't even want to think about that. They have this idea you can purge your way to victory, that by being purer, you will somehow build a larger majority. Look, we've been trying that for a long period and it has not worked out that way. You need Republicans who can run in big cities. You need Republicans who can run in the purple suburbs. You need Republicans competing for every vote everywhere they can find them. Don't write anybody off. Please get the message, Republicans. Show them that you're willing to have the conversation and bring ideas. That was the other big thing Lee Zeldin had. He had a very detailed plan, a lot of different issues. And you're not going to win those precincts. You're going to still going to get creamed. But if you can take a, a slice and then a bigger slice and you do that precinct after precinct after precinct, that adds up. I mean, people think about Ron DeSantis winning by almost 20 points. He barely won four years ago. And the reason that he did is because he talked about school choice and uh, African-American mothers 
responded to that message. Did he win them? No, not even close, but he won enough of them uh, to get past Andrew Gillum and uh, begin a record in Florida that has put him in a position to be one of the most prominent figures in the country. So, um, and you know, once you get that opportunity, then you can execute on that well thought out agenda. So good job. Lisa. Oh, Greg, I could just tear my hair out over it. <laughs> Let's absolutely talk about that because guess what? You don't have to choose anymore. Between better hair growth and your health, there's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness. Get ahead of thinning hair with Nutrafol's whole body approach to hair growth with no drugs and no compromises. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three months and six months. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the Three Martini Lunch by going to Nutrafol.com men and entering the promo code Martini to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, you get free shipping on every single order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com men. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash men. Promo code Martini. All right, Jim, on to our crazy Martini now, but it's also a good Martini because I think uh, a lot got exposed on Friday night on the taping of Real Time with Bill Maher, which I think is actually uh, also broadcast live. But Bernie Sanders was uh, uh, the guest, and uh, a bunch of other stuff was talked about as well. But uh, Maher was reading this question. I don't know if it came from his audience or or where it came from. Uh, uh, The difference between equality and equity And let's just say Bernie didn't do so well. Are we confusing equality of opportunity with trying to guarantee equity in outcomes? Okay, that's interesting because I think this word equity has come into the language in the last few years. And before that, we didn't hear it a lot. And I think a lot of people hear equity and they hear equality. It's the same word. And it's not the same word in the same concept. So how would you differentiate between equity and equality? Well, equality, we talk about, uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. <laughs> Come to think of it, you know, uh, equality is equality of opportunity. All right? We live in a society, we want all people right. to have whatever color your skin is. Equity, I think, is more guarantee of outcome, is it not? I yeah, think- I think so. I think that's Okay. Fine. So which, do you come, which side do you come down on? Uh, we- equality. Equality. Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Jim, that is amazing because I think the left has been intentionally trying to muddy the distinction between those two words. And I don't know if Sanders played dumb because he knows if he gave the real answer, uh, people wouldn't support the idea as much anymore. But uh, good for Mar for, for bringing it out there. And, the, and, and Sanders' inability to explain it tells volumes. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, Bernie Sanders is a true believer in socialism and just about every other left-wing cause. And I guess we should give him a couple points for honesty, for saying that, you know, for not being able to articulate that difference and basically, you know, leaving it to Mar to kind of say, look, you know, general, you know, because almost every American, I hope every American believes in equality of opportunity, right? We want you to have as much chance of getting that job, getting that scholarship, getting that uh, acceptance to a university, um, anything that there should not be anything where, well, we're not really going to allow those people to get it, not get this opportunity. That's why we're big supporters of school choice on this podcast. We want every parent to be able to choose whatever school you want for your kid in order to give the best opportunity for them, the brightest future for them. 
one of the reasons the left uses the word equity is that it's, you know, it's not used as much. Maybe people might think of it as terms of like involving, you know, uh, buying your house or, or something like that or accumulating equity or something like that. And I think people hear equity and a lot of people just kind of, say, oh, you like, like equality. But as Mar laid out in that definition, actually, it's a very different one. You're probably never going to have absolute equality in, uh, in outcome. Uh, Bill Clinton famously said, I want my cabinet to look like America. And he did technically, you know, mean he wanted African-Americans and Latinos and women and Asian-Americans and, and all of that. I think it was Rush Limbaugh who observed, yeah, so we ended up with a whole bunch of Ivy League lawyers. <laughs> they, were diverse, they, were, they were diverse in their you know, ethnic identity and gender identity, but they all thought the same and they all basically worked in ideological lockstep. Whether or not that's, you think of that as appropriately diverse, that doesn't look like America, right? America is roughly equally divided between the two countries. What we have here with with this is a desire to come out with some sort of equal outcome in which the outcome of admissions to a scholarship program, admissions to a school, a workplace, uh, who gets hired by a company, it's all going to look just like America. But the problem is the number of people who apply are not likely to look like America and match up with the demographics perfectly. And there's, you know, you don't, you know, people would joke, do you want to apply that to the NBA? Do you want to apply that to the uh, Olympic gymnast team? You know, you know, you don't see a lot of really tall people in the gymnast team. You don't see a lot of short people in the NBA. Institutions are not going to look like the country at large. The kinds of people who want to do particular kinds of work are not going to look like, you know, uh, the country at large. The uh, construction workers are not likely to look like America and that you're going to have more men than women. Mining jobs are going to have more men than firefighters, right? Now, does this mean that women should, you know, shouldn't be allowed on? Heck no. Women should be given every opportunity. But they have to you know, perform to a certain standard and meet the threshold just the way that, you know, male applicants do. This is all very straightforward to most people. But I think there's been this effort by the left to deliberately muddy the waters on this and to argue that, you know, where we're going to put, put in place these equity programs. What they really mean, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, equality programs. No, no, no. It's a program aiming to end up with equality or, or results, which is not likely to be the outcome just because of the inherent differences between human beings. It's just the way things are. And you're constantly going to be, um, is, it is constantly going to be involved more and more levels of government meddling in all kinds of decisions that are best left to the private sector and educational institutions because they're chasing this you know, impossible pot of gold at the end of the rainbow of equity. Great news, Greg. I've just got the Irish Americans angry at me. <laughs> no, We're coming up on St. Patrick's Day. That's anyway. exactly I, right. I can make those jokes, Greg. You can't. This is like Independence Day. Now that you know how to trip them up, every interviewer, especially even quasi-right, but uh, anywhere along the board, ask the Democrats when you get them on live to yes. explain the difference between <laughs> equity and equality and watch them sweat. Jim, fun way to start a Monday. I like these good martinis. See you tomorrow. Yep. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us as well. Also, thank you for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please, please keep them coming. They're a huge help to us in a lot of very meaningful ways. Also, uh, get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday, and join us again on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.